0: welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The main theme of the uh, book of James is Christian maturity. Uh, he's not necessarily writing and telling people how to be saved. He's writing and telling them how to behave because they are saved uh, and, and how they ought to live their lives. Part of Christian maturity also involves this. Part of being mature as a Christian in, involves the attitudes that we have and how you and I should be peacemakers and not, and not troublemakers. To me, it makes perfect sense that James would bring this up as a topic. One, because he was a half-brother of Jesus. So he was around Jesus enough to hear Jesus himself talk about this topic. Matter of fact, Jesus being the older brother, he might have got tired of him saying, now, 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 I need to be a peacemaker. But he was also a disciple of Jesus. So he was there when Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount spoke about how the peacemakers would be blessed. He said this in Matthew 9, "...Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God." So, I think James naturally would write about being a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker because he had heard Jesus talk about it. But also for another very practical reason, James was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So, I'm just guessing... If you were to ask James or any other pastor, would you rather pastor a church of troublemakers or a church of peacemakers, hands down, that pastor is going to tell you, I'd rather have a church of peacemakers instead of a church filled troublemakers. So I think for a very practical reason, uh, James also would be writing these these verses to us. The, this is the, the fourth section or the fourth main theme in, in James. And he's going to be dealing with this thought of being a a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker from chapter 3, verse 13. That's where we're picking up today, if you'll join me there in your Bible, all the way over to verse 17 of chapter 4. Today we're going to go from verse 13 of chapter 3 to verse 3 of chapter 4, and we're going to look at this topic, attitudes, that we can have that can either cause trouble or can, ha- can help to cancel out trouble. We can have attitudes that can make us more prone to be troublemakers, or we can have attitudes that, that will make us be more like peacemakers. Wisdom is like a subtopic in this section that we're talking about. But because in these verses today, James will write about wisdom from above, and wisdom from below. Logically speaking, if, if we operate our lives based on wisdom from above, and just to make it clear kind of for us in a practical way what that is, wisdom from above is this. God's given us His Word. So if we will operate our lives based upon wisdom from above, more than likely we'll be peacemakers. If we'll operate our lives based on the wisdom from below or a worldly type of wisdom, we've got a pretty good chance of being a troublemaker and and having the wrong attitude. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're we're going to talk about wisdom. He had already said the theme of wisdom way back in chapter 1, James had, when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Here's a a little bit of a newsflash. God expects us to use this. (laughs) He he expects us to allow His Word to guide our, our attitudes in life. And if so, like I said, we can have a better chance of being a peacemaker than a troublemaker. If we think about the attitudes that can either cause or cancel trouble, let's talk about that first topic to begin with. Attitudes that can cause trouble. We can literally have attitudes that will manufacture trouble instead of manufacture peace. There's some signs in verses 14 through 16 that we're going to look at, some signs of being a a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker. He he writes these words, "But, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not... The wisdom that comes down from above. In other words, if you're boasting with with the wrong attitudes in your heart, jealousy and selfish ambition, and and you're trying to act like, oh, I know all this stuff about Christianity and about the Bible, but you've got the wrong attitude in in, in your life, he's saying that's not the kind of wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There there are three signs in those verses of of someone being a troublemaker, potentially being a troublemaker, or signs about troublemakers. The first sign is this, troublemakers tend to be fake people, or a hypocrite, or hypocrisy. That's really what he's hitting at when he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast like you're this Huge know it all Christian because you're kind of being false to the truth that you're claiming because inside you've got this other stuff. In- inside you've got this, this jealousy and this selfish ambition that, that's taking place. Now, th- there's a lot of word studies today, but you know, there's, there's some pretty important ones to help us understand what's being said. When, when he says, but if you have, he literally means if you're holding. Bitter jealousy, and that word for bitter jealousy means a sharp instrument, a piercing, like, like taking a sharp peg to stake a tent down. It talks about zeal or heat or boiling over and, and glowing. And I thought about an illustration from the word study that he used there. You, you could say when we're harboring bitter jealousy in our lives, it's like we've decided to pitch our tent over jealousy. We decided to drive the stake down, and we're just going to stay right there in, in our lives and in, in build our lives and our attitudes around around bitter jealousy. He says selfish ambition, and that kind of means this intrigue that you've got in your own life uh, that leads to contention or strife or factions or, uh, you know, you're, you're stimulating or provoking anger. You're quarreling. The, the word can literally refer to... Uh, To the party, and by party, I'm not meaning woohoo, let's go have a party. I'm talking about like partisan spirit, like politics. The the word in the Greek was even used to speak of a politician out canvassing for votes. Now, this isn't what the message is about today, but here's a little side message. Tuesday, there's a primary election. I will tell you to vote because I think that's your Christian citizen obligation. I'm not going to stand here and tell you how to vote. I think he may do that if you'll ask him, if you'll pray about it and, uh, and everything. But I will tell you, you ought to go vote. And if you don't vote, you don't have any business whining about stuff like wrong. If if you're not willing to go and vote. But this word that he uses here of, of selfish ambition, it gives the idea of someone... Just wanting something for themselves in their own hearts. And and there's some tenses in the Greek that he uses that that really adds a flavor to it. It helps us understand what he's saying because it it means in your own hearts. It means in a fixed position in in your own heart. So, So if you're running around with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in a fixed position, now please understand that because we're human and all of us can have jealousy and bitterness and things like that from time to time, can't we? But he's saying if you're harboring it like you've pitched your tent there, in your heart, in a fixed position, and yet you're boasting, you're going around bragging about how much you know. You see, the verses that led up to this that we dealt with last week, he was talking about teachers maybe being jealous against each other and everything in James. James. So he said here, if someone is boasting about how much they know how great of a Christian they are, how much biblical knowledge they have, and yet at the same time they're harboring those things in a fixed position in their heart, he's saying you are being false to the truth. In other words, you're being a hypocrite. On the outside, you want to boast about being Mr. Super or Mrs. Super Christian. On the inside, you're filled with bitter jealousy and, and selfish." ambition. To utter an untruth, to attempt to be deceived by falsehood, or to go down the, to, to, to put down the truth. He's talking about the exclusive truth. The exclusive truth of God's Word. There is an exclusive truth. Not just any truth, but the truth. To say this is where you are, and then to, to prove exactly the opposite the way, the way that you, that you are acting. Paul tells us there's a type of knowledge that can puff us up. The the debate was over a certain topic when Paul wrote these words, but look what Paul says here in in Corinthians. Next slide. Uh, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, (laughs) he does not yet know as he ought to know. Do you get that? If you are really puffed up about what you know. He said love builds people up. It doesn't just puff you up. If God's using his word in your life for the right way, it's going to be beneficial to other people around you, not just puffing you up in your pride. And he said if you think you know something, hey, you got second things coming. You don't really know anything. Because <laughs> you've got the wrong attitude about it. You're, you're harboring that jealousy in your heart. It's these worldly thoughts. Promote yourself. You're as good as other people around you. You're as good as other candidates. You're as good as that other person they've asked to teach in church. You're as good as that other person they've asked to sing in church. That kind of spirit, that kind of partisan top spirit that regrettably can not just get out of the political world but get into the church. Partisan spirit causes trouble in the political world too. You, you understand that? Because people make their decisions just based upon their affiliation instead of what the real truth is. And if we're not careful, we'll allow that to slip into the church to where we are making our decisions based upon what we want instead of what God really wants. And we're promoting ourselves instead of Him. See, regrettably... There's a great deal of selfish, carnal promotion that can take place in God's people. The apostles one time, the disciples, were arguing about what? Who would be greatest when the kingdom comes? You know what Jesus more or less told them? If you read the context of that, right on the heels of them asking that question, Jesus starts talking to them about hell. In other words, there's too much for you to do. People are going to hell. You don't have time to argue and debate about who's going to be first in the kingdom of God. The Pharisees were really good at promoting themselves, they, they, their ego that, that they really had. They, they tried to display it like it was this, uh, this religious holiness, but they had this ego that they wanted other people to see them and see their actions and see how they, they lived. And they were interested in promoting the praise of men or getting the praise of men instead of the praise of, of God. So that's why I'm saying our, our motive is what we need to check out. James is writing to people and he's saying, if you think you know something, if you think you're really wise, and yet you are harboring all this stuff in your heart, you need to really stop and think of, if maybe you're operating as a false person, as a hypocrite might might operate. Paul also warns us about that in, in Corinthians. He says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now stop and think about that for a minute. It's pretty easy sometimes for us to glory in each other's presence. You understand what I'm saying? I can compare my life to somebody else. You can compare your life to somebody else. We can get in church and look around and say, well, I'm about as good as that person over there, so I ought to be doing this or I ought to be doing that or I ought to be put in this position because I'm as good as they are. Well, Paul warns us that we should not glory in his presence. In other words, we've got the wrong focus. I don't need to compare myself to you. You don't need to compare yourself to somebody else. All of us need to compare ourselves to Him and His presence. And if we'll compare ourselves to Him and His presence, we won't worry about being partisan with each other and, and, and you know, trying to vie for positions and things like that in the church with each other. Because if we compare ourselves with Him, we're all messed up. you understand? We, we're, we're all put in the, in the right attitude if we'll put ourselves before Him. And He goes on and He says, He that glories... Let him glory in what? The Lord. Not wrong to glory. It's not wrong to have you know, a, a certain degree of pride as long as it's the right kind of pride. We have something to glory about. Here's what it is. God so loved us, he sent his son into this world and put him on a cross. And he shed his blood for you and for me so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. Man, that's something to glory about. And instead, we wind up glorying about ourselves and promoting our, our, our ourselves. And if we had applied this, that would never happen because in Philippians, Paul wrote, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than or more important than themselves. You understand if we would all do that, if we would all be promoting other people, if we'd be looking at other people being better than ourselves, that would minimize the amount of trouble churches would have. Because I'm not about exalting myself, I'm about exalting you. I'm about building you up. I'm about helping you. And that would guard against a, a lot of the troublemaking that happens. And James more or less writes and he says troublemakers, for the most part, they tend to be fake people, hypocrites. He, he also, in verse 15, tells us troublemakers operate under a false wisdom. Under false wisdom. He said, "This is not the the wisdom that comes down from above. the, the jealousy we just talked about, the the self ambition that we just talked about, that's not the kind of wisdom that comes down from from God. This is not the wisdom. In the in the tense that he uses in the Greek, means absolutely not. Having bitter jealousy in your heart, and that." That self-exaltation in, in your heart, that selfish ambition in your heart, he says that is absolutely not the kind of wisdom that comes down from above. Man, this word study was really interesting when I, when I was doing it this week. The phrase he uses for come down is the exact same word that talks about Jesus being the I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. God earlier in the Old Testament said, I am that I am. And the phrase simply means I exist, I have always existed, I've always been. And Jesus comes into this world as the total fulfillment of the I am. So really what James has just said is this, that selfish attitude, that self-ambition, that bitter jealousy, if you've got that in your heart, that is absolutely not the kind of wisdom that you ought to get. And the wisdom that he's talking about is Jesus Christ himself. The, the wisdom that exists in Jesus. That's not the wisdom that comes down from above. And that's an interesting phrase too in the Greek because it literally means the first. You want to know who the first is? It's not you. It's not me. The first is the great I am, the ancient of days, the one that's always been. Troublemakers, though, tend to operate under a different Wisdom. Instead of operating under the the, the wisdom of of God, the wisdom that's from above, they are operating on a false wisdom. And and he tells us, here's a description of that false wisdom. It's a worldly wisdom. It's earthly. It's just a physical, maybe a, a, a humanistic type morality that we might come up with. It's wisdom without God is what he's implying the kind of wisdom that that troublemakers tend to be influenced by, the wisdom of of this world is also an an unspiritual wisdom. In other words, it's just kind of natural. It's just based upon maybe our our, our human instincts. Years ago, uh, the the second second full-time church that I pastored, I pastored a little mission church for a little while while I was still in law enforcement. And then I pastored my first full-time church in Wills County, the county that I grew up in. And, and, and then I went out of the area uh, down to uh, Rocky Mount to pastor a church there. While I was in that area, there was a church in our association, uh, in the Baptist Association there, was having some difficulty. And I knew one of the deacons that I'd met down there, and I knew him to be really strong on the Bible and things like that. And, and, and they were having a deacons meeting in that particular church to uh, try and, and see if they couldn't come to, uh, to an answer to the problem that they were having. So this deacon that I knew when they were starting the meeting, he pulled his Bible out, and, and he said, well, let's look and see what the Bible has to say about it. And one of the other deacons spoke up and said, well, we can't just go on what the Bible has to say. Really? Please don't ever say that to me around here. Well, what's going to be your foundation, your standard of truth? Because everything else is just kind of built on conventional wisdom and our human emotion and our human desires if we don't use the Word of God. In other words, many troublemakers are being guided just by their own human wisdom. Also, troublemakers are Influenced by, by demonic wisdom. You jumped ahead on me. Back up one. On a demonic wisdom. Demon-like, devilish type wisdom. The Bible tells us Satan is an angel of what? Light. So in other words, he deceives us into thinking that sounds pretty good. J- Jesus said that there'd be wolves wearing what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. Acting like something that they're not. We're told in the Bible to try the spirits because there's a lot of spirits of the Antichrist that has gone out into the world. In other words, there's a counterfeit. To be honest with you, as I study the Bible, it appears to me that everything that God has the authentic for, Satan has a counterfeit for. So there's a counterfeit type of wisdom and if people are directing their lives and their attitude based upon a counterfeit wisdom, they will probably wind up being a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker. Troublemakers also are motivated by selfish ambition. James wrote, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He said, here's the reason you're having trouble. That's what the word for means. It assigns a reason. Wherever, whatever spot, wherever you find jealousy, wherever you find selfish ambition, He said there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. In that phrase, every vile practice means there's going to be instability there, disorder there, commotion, confusion, all forms of worthless, no account, foul, flawed, wicked deeds, or business taking place. Jesus used the exact same word describing the way the convulsions of the world would be in the last days in Luke chapter 21 in in verse 9. In other words, worldly wisdom produces trouble. Worldly wisdom will lead us toward being troublemakers. A lot of churches have difficulties and splits and things like that because they're operating based upon here and here and not this. They're based in their, their decisions and their actions upon their, their emotions. It sounds like to me the church that... James is writing to when he says every vile practice. It sounded like maybe Satan was doing better work in those churches than than God was. And that's a shame that that can still happen sometimes. Because when we start to do things just based on human wisdom, it causes confusion and conflict. You want an Old Testament illustration of that? Mankind thought, this is a good idea. We're going to build a tower all the way to heaven. Great idea, they thought. So they started working really, really hard at it, but the problem was it wasn't God's idea. They did not bother to check out with God and see if it's okay that they built their own stairway to heaven. So... God all of a sudden made it to where they could not understand each other, and they had to leave and go to separate parts. The work was stopped, and they had just a bunch of confusion. We still use the word babble today to refer to confusion because of that. A lot of individual Christians in their individual lives, or or in their home life, or in their work life, or regrettably in their church life, experience a lot of babble and confusion because they're not operating on the right truth. They're they're operating on some false truth. They're being motivated maybe by their selfish ambition. That's some signs that someone's a troublemaker. But James also gives us some causes to help us understand why we have trouble to start with, why we have conflict. He he raises the question, he, he says what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What's causing you to be a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker? The The word cause means that he's talking about the origin of it. From what origin are you having these quarrels, this warfare, these battles, either, either a single encounter or a whole series of wars? From what origin are you having these fights, these battles, these controversies, this strife, this war, this dispute that's... Among you, and he uses that phrase several times. He uses the tense here in this passage that we're looking at today. That means in a fixed position. He said, "What's causing you to have these quarrels and fights in you as a fixed position?" And regrettably, that happens not just to individuals; it happens to churches. I don't know why, except I think maybe I know more why, after studying this passage this week, but it seems like some churches get the reputation of having trouble, and all they do is have trouble and they have trouble and they have trouble and they have trouble and they have trouble, and that's all that happens. I was at a church a while back that I knew used to run probably three or four hundred for Sunday school and everything they had 99 the week before. You want to know why they'd had trouble and they had trouble and they had trouble and they had trouble and they had trouble. That had conflict upon conflict upon conflict. He, he, he's raising this question, what is causing these things? What's causing you to be a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker? And then he answers his own question. The first cause is, is this. The first cause is that you've got conflicted passions. He said, is, is it not this? And, and he's not guessing. He, he, he said, is it not absolutely this? James said, here's why. He said, absolutely, here's why you're a troublemaker. Here's why you're having these troubles. Because you have passions. And that doesn't necessarily talk about sexual passion. It's talking about your own kind of personal desires. You've got passions that are at war within you. You've got this military campaign that's going on inside of an individual. It's going on inside of your life. Of a family, is going on inside the family of a church. You, you're letting this military campaign happen within the midst of a church because you've got these passions, these self-desires. The word meant to go to war as a soldier, to set up an army camp. Within you, within your individual life, within your family, within maybe where you work at, within where you go to church at. Why are you having these battles? Why are you having these wars? He said it's it's because you've got these conflicted passions in, in your life, this war taking place. second reason he gives us is unfulfilled passions. Unfulfilled passions. Why are you experiencing trouble? While the conflict, while the battle, while the warfare, why are you a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker? He says you desire and you do not have, so you Murder. That sounds like a spiritual thing, doesn't it? You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. He said, you've got this desire, you've got your heart set upon something, you're coveting something... But in the tense that he uses there in the Greek, he said, you absolutely can't get hold of it. You don't have it. So because you're not getting what you're so longing for, it may lead you to even commit something like murder. Or, by the way, you can murder someone, as we saw last week, more than one way. You don't have to pull a trigger and point a gun at them. You can murder someone's character with this. Next slide. He said you covet. You've got this strong desire for something, but you cannot obtain it. Once again, he uses the tense where he said you absolutely can't grab it. You can't get hold of it. You don't have the ability to even chance upon it. So since you're not getting what you want, you see, that's the issue. We wind up making it about what we want. That phrase I I mentioned earlier, they talked about like a partisan spirit. You want to know what causes trouble in America? I can tell you what's causing a lot of trouble in America. Because we've got such a partisan spirit, everyone's just voting based upon their their partisan politics, not what the truth is. And in a church, you can have all kinds of trouble and separation and conflict because you get people where you've got this click here, that click there, this click over here, that click over there, this click over here. And everyone's wanting what they want instead of what God wants. They say, so you, you, you can't get what you want, so you fight. You, you go to war over it. You, trouble happens. Conflict happens. Dispute happens. And, and you're quarreling about it. Once again, the word means Warfare. You do not have. You absolutely cannot get a hold of it. And here's another reason why they can't get it. They're not praying about it to start with. He he said you you do not ask. That's why you can't get hold of it because you, you don't ask. A lot of conflict happens in our personal lives or in our families or in a church because we fail to ask God what He wants. We fail to pray about it. But he goes on, and he said, But you also ask, some of you ask, but you ask wrongly. You're asking badly. You're asking amiss. You're, you're asking in, 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 a, in a way that's almost like disease. It's, it's like evil. It's like miserable. It's like the way you're asking is sick. It's worthless. It's deprived. It's injurious. That happens because we are praying what we want and not what God wants. Why do you have conflict? Why do you have those battles? Why do you have those troubles? And, and, and he's saying it because you, you, you pray. And when you pray, you're not asking for the right thing. And he said, you ask and you don't receive. You beg, you cry out for it. You're asking God to do something. You're asking wrongly. And, and then he goes on and he says this. You're asking to spend it on your own passion. In other words, you're praying with the wrong motive. You're praying for what you want. You're praying for yourself instead of praying for what God wants. You're praying and say, God, give me this just so you can kindly get more of what you want. You can expand your own passions instead of praying and saying, God, I want you to bless somebody else. God, I want what you want. God let me know what you want. God, our church wants what you want. Show us what you want and if that 's where we 'd get our answer from then then you wouldn 't be having these battles, but regrettably, we pray with the wrong motive and we pray out of the wrong out of the wrong desire. He gives us a tragic picture of the causes of trouble we we desire, and when we get it we we might even kill somebody we We don't stop to pray about what we're desiring. And and if we do pray about it, we're praying selfishly instead of praying in a way that might glorify God. All of those are things that show us why we might become a troublemaker. All those things that he's just written gives us some, some things that if we operate based upon the world's wisdom, we'll probably be a troublemaker. But he also tells us this. He also talks about some attitudes that we can have that can cancel trouble, help avoid trouble, help block us becoming troublemakers, and help us to be peacemakers. To begin with, peacemakers show their wisdom and their works with meekness. Look what he said in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now I know today as I've been going through this passage, and I failed to mention earlier, I'm not going just verse by verse because the thought process doesn't go verse by verse. In verse 13, our first verse in the text we're reading today, James brings up the question of wisdom, and then he goes to talk about worldly wisdom. Now he's going to finish up coming back to the topic talking about godly wisdom or wisdom from above. He said, Who is wise in understanding wisdom? among you. I think maybe he asked that with a tinge of sarcasm because he had, he's addressing someone who claims to be wise. They're boasting about how much they know, but in their heart, do you remember? In their heart, they've got bitter jealousy and they've got selfish ambition in their heart. So I think he asked with a tinge of sarcasm, well, Well, who's wise and understanding among you? And then he lets them know, if you're really wise, by your good conduct, you can show your works in the meekness of wisdom. The way we show people what we know. It's not just by being braggadocious about what we know. But it's by having a good conduct, a good behavior, with a meek, humble spirit and attitude. Don't confuse meekness with weakness. We tend to think that meekness means weakness. Jesus was meek, and I think Jesus was probably the most man that ever walked the face of the earth. Don't confuse those two things. Meekness is really this. Meekness is power that's harnessed the right way. The the Greek word for meekness also was used to talk about a, a horse, this great big strong horse being broken to where it could do what it needed to do in the way of work or labor. It's not talking about weakness. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that we ought to have in our lives. A meek person wants something not for themselves, but they want it for God's glory. So instead of us self-promoting ourselves or campaigning like a politician for ourselves, we're campaigning for God and for God's glory. It's kind of a good old... James fashion, the way he's already written in the book of James, he, he said earlier, you show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now he's more or less saying this, you show me how much you know by bragging about it. I'll show you how much I know by my conduct and with a spirit of meekness. That's the kind of attitude that can help guard against being a troublemaker. That's the kind of attitude that can help us, us be peacemakers. You see, if someone that's really wise, they don't need to boast and promote themselves. They just need to live the life that God's called them to in a spirit of meekness. And that will communicate volumes to a lost and dying world. How much you know, instead of going around bragging and promoting yourself because if you try and promote yourself you're probably going to be a troublemaker if you're trying to promote god you're probably going to be a peacemaker peacemakers do this not only do they show their wisdom with their works and their meekness peacemakers practice the wisdom from above exactly the opposite of a troublemaker we practice not the worldly wisdom but we practice the wisdom that comes down from god and he gives us a description of that wisdom. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a heart of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In that verse, to begin with, he shows us what, what real wisdom really is. What wisdom from above really is. He gives us a description of and he says that this wisdom from above is is first, first in time, first in place, first in order of importance. Order of importance. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is first of all pure. He said. First of all, pure. Next slide. First of all, pure, clean, innocent, modest, perfect, chaste. The root word means sacred. See, here, here's why God's wisdom is pure, because His Word is perfect, it's pure. There's not any mixture of error in it. God's Word is what we need to direct our, our lives by, make our decisions by. God's Word is, is, is pure. God's Word is also peaceable. The wisdom from above is peaceable. In other words, instead of us walking around with a chip on our shoulder, just waiting to get in a fight or an argument with someone about spiritual things even, even about the Bible, instead we ought to have an attitude that's pacifying or you're know, almost like you're willing to salute someone else's opinion, to be peaceable. To, to your, your goal is to join back together and, and be at peace. Man's wisdom leads to competition and robbery and, and even war, but, but God's wisdom leads to, to peace. Isaiah said this, The work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. How many of you have gone through the study of Timothy Keller? Several small groups have called the reason for God. Some of you have enough. How many is going through it right now? Some of you are going through it right now. Timothy Keller and the reason for God. Timothy Keller is a a Christian, and he's a good apologist. In other words, he's he's really good at arguing the Scriptures and knowing why you ought to believe what you believe. But in the reason for God, he's in a room that he's the only believer in this Bible study they put together. It's a video-driven Bible study, and everybody else in the room is agnostic, uh, atheist, humanistic, you know, whatever. He's the only believer there. And in with it, Timothy Keller, who knows what he believes and why you ought to believe it, he will listen to them in a godly way, and he doesn't look at them like, You flipping idiot. And by doing so, he starts to earn their respect, and he begins to teach them things that they need to hear. But if we show up like a loud, braggadocious person, that what really hurts us reaching a lost and dying world, many times, is us acting like we know the truth and you don't know anything. And you know what? If you're a Christian, you do know the truth. But you have to communicate it to the person in the right way or they'll never get it, they'll never receive it. Need to be gentle. Need to have this, uh, this appropriate mindset, being patient as we try and deal with other people. That's what God's wisdom will do for us. God's wisdom also, the wisdom from above is also this. It's open to reason. In other words, we're willing to listen to somebody else. We're willing to, to, to kind of, not just like I talked a minute ago, you're not going to just write them off or make them feel stupid. You're willing to, to listen to someone, to reason through something. God's wisdom makes us agreeable, easy to live with. You know, man's wisdom makes a person hard and stubborn. You ever been put on a committee in a church? I'm meddling now, aren't I? You've been putting on a comedian in a church with somebody, and you thought, Do I have to serve with that person? Huh. You ever see somebody at Walmart, and they've not seen you yet, and you decide to hide over on the next aisle? I'll be transparent with you. I'm a pastor and I've done that before because I saw the person coming and I thought, oh, that's nothing but a troublemaker. Because I'd already been through a lot of the trouble that caused the church and everything else. And I'm thinking, eh, this is my own time. I'm going to step off the side for a minute for this evening. So we need to be open for reason. We need to also be this. God's wisdom is also. Next slide. Well, he tells us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to, to wrath. So we need to be willing to listen to people. But go ahead, next one. God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, is also full of mercy. We need to be full of compassion. To be full of means to be controlled by it. A good picture of that is the Good Samaritan. Because as all the religious people walk by, this Good Samaritan stops and ministers to this person simply out of mercy, simply out of compassion. And that's what the wisdom from above will give us. It will help us to be compassionate toward other people. Jesus said, Be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. In other words, God is merciful with you. You need to be merciful to other people. That's what God's wisdom from above will do for us. It gives us good fruits. God's wisdom gives us actually something beneficial on our lives that other people can pluck and receive. God's wisdom is impartial. We're not making our decisions based upon who someone is and how much money they have or or we can we're having a singleness of mind and the best way that you and i can have a singleness of mind as a church or as individuals when we're trying to make decisions is this that's my opinion See, it helps me have a singleness of mind i don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks we wouldn't have to worry about what everyone thinks we wouldn't be getting in arguments or debates or anything like that as long as we're basing it upon what god says And it's also sincere. The wisdom from above is sincere. We don't have hypocrisy. We're not acting. We're really being honest with people. We're speaking the truth in love. You can speak the truth without doing it in a way that's hateful and hurtful and mean-spirited. God's wisdom, God's Word can make us peacemakers. The world's wisdom... The world's wisdom will do exactly the opposite. The world's wisdom will make us into troublemakers. That's what wisdom from above is. And we'll close by looking at verse 18. Here's what wisdom from above does. James said, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's something to be plucked. There's something to be gleaned. A harvest of righteousness. A harvest of, of what Christ has done in our lives. Christian justification. God has made us just like we've never sinned. There's a harvest of right things that can happen if we will sow in peace. The Christian life is about sowing. We're to sow, but we need to do so in peace. And, and if you and I sow in peace, it will will reap a harvest. I, I Personally, I like the way the NIV happens to put it in this verse. And it says this in the NIV. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. If we'll sow in peace, good stuff happens. If we'll sow in peace, right things happen. If we will sow with a spirit of a troublemaker, guess what you're going to have? Bad, negative, vile things that James wrote about. As I study this this week, I, I couldn't help after all the years I've been in the ministry to think to myself, one, I wished I would studied this, this particular passage more deeply before now. I mean, I've preached through James before, but I don't think i would ever got down in, in as much of the Word studies as I have this week as I've looked at it. Because as I studied it this week, I came to this conclusion. Every church in America needs to study that a little bit. Because too many churches are having trouble because they're basing their decisions on worldly wisdom when if we would base it on God's wisdom, wisdom from above, instead of being troublemakers and having churches that split and splinter and blow up and people mad at each other all the time, instead we could be churches filled with peacemakers. Churches sowing the right thing and getting the right kind of, of harvest. You see, our goal is to plant the right kind of garden. And if we're planting the right kind of garden with the right attitude of meekness and mercy, we're going to get the right results from it when it comes harvest time. Applying God's wisdom will make us peacemakers, not applying God's wisdom will make us troublemakers. You, you might could boil it all down, everything that we've looked at today, Kylie, maybe by. But by saying this, we as individual Christians or as a church, we need to consider how we make our decisions. We need to consider what our foundation of truth is. Because if we're basing our decisions in our personal lives or as a church based upon worldly wisdom, we're going to get the wrong results, trouble. But if we'll base our decisions and our personal lives in as a church and base our ministries on the wisdom from above, not the wisdom of men, what we can get is peace. Psalm 133, David writes these words. I want to close with that because I, I just think it's really powerful. David Rice, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's what we ought to experience. That's what the church ought to experience. Day 3 church will be 12 years old uh, next fall. And for the most part, some of you have been here kind of for the long haul, for the most part, we've experienced Peace. And I thank God for that. We can ruin it really quickly if we start operating on our own decisions and what we want instead of what God wants. How good and pleasant it is from Brothers Dwell in Unity. Look at the description that he gives. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, and running down on the collar of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, I love that description. That that description of of us having the kind of unity and the peace with each other and being peacemakers that we ought to have. It's just like your head's been anointed with oil and it runs down and it runs down the beard and it runs down and and it just spreads. That's the idea that He's given. It spreads. And if you as an individual Christian, if I as an individual Christian if us as a church body corporately, if we will base our decisions and our attitudes on wisdom from above instead of wisdom from below, we can have a peace that just spreads. Let's pray. Father, God forgive us for the times that we've We've acted like You're not our Father. We've not acted much like our family. Because You call us to act like You and to be like You, to be like Your Son. Those of us that know You as Savior, You've put Your Spirit inside of us to empower us to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. You've given us Your Word, that Your, your wisdom from above, that we need to use to guide our life and guide our attitudes. God forgive us of for the times that we've operated in our individual lives, or in our families, or our jobs, or our, our our work, or school, or wherever it might be. But we've forgive us for the times we've operated on the wisdom of the world, and we've allowed ourselves to become troublemakers. God help us apply this scripture to our lives. Make us to be peacemakers. Not compromisers, not compromising your word. We believe your word. We stand by your word. But we do so without bitter jealousy, without selfish ambition, without politics in the church. Instead of wanting what we want, we want what you want. Help us at Day 3 Church to be always like that. And Father, I pray for other churches that maybe have allowed worldly wisdom to, to sneak in and it's caused trouble. Father, help them return to Your Word and to want what You want and bring about peace in the midst of that congregation. A peace that makes them more like You so they can impact the world around them. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day3Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day3Church, experience a new day in your life.